this morning, so I'll need a few volunteers. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Rather than showing off, I thought I would just use a video to help understand one of those how is that even possible kind of moments. My family and I, we like to watch America's Got Talent. It's really interesting to see people from all over the world use the different skills that they have and their experiences and passions to bring together a production, a show. This group in particular that we just showed you is actually from India. The group is, uh, I think it's known as the Warrior Group, and it is a group that does somewhere between dance and acrobatics. I remember watching that and just thinking to myself, how is that even possible? That, that, that seems unattainable. I look at something like that and I think to myself, I could spend a lifetime, in fact, I could spend lifetimes trying to train and work toward being able to do what they just did and still never even come close to accomplishing something like that. I think if we're honest, all of us at some point in our lives have had those, how is that possible kind of a moment where you look at the supernatural, the beyond normal, and you wonder to yourself how something like that is realized. I think we experience that in the Christian faith as well. And today we're going to look as we continue in our series entitled It's in the Evidence, a 10-week study through the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at the word peace or the characteristic of peace. Peace is one of those things, and especially living in the 21st century where I think we look at it through a superhuman lens. And while it would be ideal, it feels out of reach. And I think we're going to find today that it's actually a lot, it's a lot closer than any of us realizes. I want to welcome you to Reach Church this morning. My name is Andrew. I am so blessed to get to be the senior pastor here. And if you're watching online, welcome. And if you're new here today, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests. And welcome to all the family and friends that are going to be here to celebrate baptisms. We have 18 people being baptized today between the first service and the second. And so you'll get to experience that at the end. Very, very exciting. A massive, huge celebration, a great next step in your faith. And I'm so glad we get to be a part of that with you. Go ahead and grab your Bible, please. And turn with me to the New Testament book of Galatians. We have ushers that are going to come around our worship center right now from all sides. And if you don't have your Bible or you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and allow our ushers to bring you a Bible? These Bibles are a gift. There's no cost. There's no strings attached. We just encourage you to take it with you today and bring it back with you when you come back next week. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And we're also going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. Both are going to be in the New Testament. If you're looking for Galatians, it's going to be about seven-eighths of the way through your Bible. Uh, perhaps the easiest way to find it if you're new to the Bible is going to be at the very beginning of the Bible, there's a table of contents. It's going to be in the New Testament books, and it'll give you a page number associated with Galatians. Also, Philippians. Would you find those for me? We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, specifically verses 16 through 26. And then later, we're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 together. But beginning in Galatians chapter 5, which is known as the fruit of the Spirit. Week 1, we looked at the foundations of the fruit of the Spirit. Week 2, we looked at the first of the nine mitochondria of the fruit of the Spirit, which was love. 
We talked about the different types of love expressed and experienced in the Bible, and in particular, the agape kind of love that can only be experienced through the person, the power, and the presence of Jesus, and how we learn to love like Jesus by modeling our lives, our, our, our behaviors and attitudes after Jesus. And then last week, our friend Dave came from Indiana, he and his wife Christy, and he did a masterful job of teaching us about the characteristic of joy. And one thing that stood out to me, I don't know about you, but for me, it was this understanding of life viewed through either a magnifying glass or a telescope, that we have a lower story and an upper story, and that while we're living life, God is in control and he's got something really special. So we need to reframe how we see the world and not look for moments of happiness, but find ourselves existing in a place of joy. If you didn't watch either one of those messages, I would encourage you to go back and, and to do that. And so today we're going to pick up Galatians chapter 5, week 4, but in the third characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Read along with me, please, beginning in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature and its desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. These, Lords, are your word. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to come together and set aside a time like we have today to learn and to lean into your word. Today is an opportunity, Father, to investigate what you've given us as a part of a life that is only realized through your Holy Spirit at work in us. Today we're going to look at the promise of peace. This is something that I think is so far from most of our minds because we live in what seems to be a constant state of turmoil. And I pray that today as we dive into peace, that you would help us to understand and to realize and to adopt this characteristic as part of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that you would eradicate all distractions and help us to fix our eyes, our focus, our affections on you. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Peace. When I think about peace, my mind takes me to the 60s and 70s. The peace sign. And you know, I got to thinking about this last night. It feels like yesterday when I watched a documentary, I was 
thinking about this, just uh, we watch some PBS specials from time to time because that's what you do when you're 45 years old, middle-aged, and you have some downtime. You watch PBS specials. The most recent one was an Amish special. Looking at Jimi Hendrix and the 60s and looking at what happened at, uh, what was it called? Woodstock. Woodstock. You know, you were there. (laughs) Those people are in their middle to late 70s now. That's how long ago that was. And before you go, whoa, be careful because the next guy preaching after me is going to say the same thing and we're going to go, whoa. We're going to be talking about when boys to men was relevant. And it's, uh, speaking of relevance, how many of you yesterday were Oregon Ducks fans? Huh? On behalf of all Oregonians everywhere, you're welcome. I assure you I had a lot to do with that outcome. It was fun to watch and to, the number of people that were texting me yesterday. And I, I just kept telling everybody, the bandwagon is big. Hop on. We got the best jerseys in the league. All right, listen. Thinking about peace. It's one of those things that I think is so often misunderstood. One of the teaching techniques that I've found useful in my life when I'm trying to really understand something isn't just to know what something is, but to understand what it isn't. And I think I want to start there today. I want to talk about what peace isn't. I'm going to give you several adjectives that are the antithesis, that are antithetical to peace. They would include anxiousness, anxiety, fear, worry, stress, and chaos. If you don't believe me that these are the antithesis of peace, all you would need to do is go to any news media outlet, real time, right now, and you are going to be met with all kinds of war and chaos and panic and fear and worry and the antithesis of peace. Here are five of the top searches around the world right now when it comes to news. Let me share them with you. Number one, tropical storms. We're in the middle of that season, and in the United States of America, North America, the eastern seaboard is being just inundated with tropical storms. But it's not just here. It's, it's, it's really the world over right now. The number two that I found was North Korea and the fear about nuclear presence in North Korea. The chaos. Number three, the Russian invasion, the Russian-Ukrainian war. Constant videos and images and testimonies about what that war is like or that invasion. And number four, still a hot topic, is China's spy balloon. That balloon that mysteriously hovered over much of the northern part of the U.S. and for many days. And number five, the government shutdown. That we are knocking on the door of our government shutting down because they cannot seem to find a common ground or peace. These are just some of the things that you would find in the news media, in the outlets. And then if we were to begin to dig up events in our own lives, if I were to give you subject matter like finances, relationships, health, personal possessions, children, school. I could 
probably name just about any subject matter when it comes to the things that preoccupy our lives. And I would argue that if not now, at some point, you could associate fear, anxiety, worry, chaos, and uncertainty to those things. And so it begs the question as we look at, in the same way that we watched that video to begin with, this word peace. This word peace that seems superhuman. It seems supernatural. How do you really experience peace with so much chaos and war and mania going on all around you? People work for peace. We study the topic of peace. We go to therapy to try to find inner peace. We read on the subject of inner peace. We will meditate to experience inner peace. We will go to great lengths. We'll even travel the world to experience inner peace. In fact, I'm getting ready here in just a few weeks to take a trip. I'm going to be back in Israel for 12 days. And one of the things about Israel that a lot of people don't know is that the Dead Sea is one of the most traveled to destinations in the world every year. People come to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth, for peace. There is something about the minerals in the salt water that you'll go there and you'll watch people from all over the world, quite literally, every dialect and language and body type and personality, and they take this mud, they sell this olive-type mud, and they will cover their bodies, and they'll walk out into the Dead Sea, and they'll just float there, letting the sun hit their body and hoping that being in that, that serene environment will invite it will invoke peace in their lives. And maybe for a moment, with the absence of your children, there is some peace. Maybe for a moment, with the absence of your paycheck stubs or your check registry, there's some peace. Maybe for a moment, while you're floating there, covered in mud around thousands of other people from all over the, the world, and your mind is free to just... Let go of the worry and the anxiety and the chaos and the, the war that is being waged inside of yourself. But it's only moments after these temporary spaces that we create where we're often reminded of the chaos. You see, I think we look at peace as a unicorn. We look at peace as something that we would all like to have, but we know doesn't exist. But that's not the truth. Peace does exist. Peace is very real, and peace is very much a part of the life of every follower of Jesus. So the issue isn't whether peace is a unicorn, something that can be attained, or that it's gold in a pot at the end of a rainbow. The issue is we need to better understand what peace isn't in order to recognize what peace is and where we can get it. We're going to talk about that today. According to the dictionary, dictionary.com says, peace is freedom from disturbance or tranquility. That peace is the absence of turmoil, free from anxiety and stress. According to scripture, the word peace in the New Testament 
is referenced 92 times, 92 times, many of which are in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're referenced in red, which means that these are letters in red that Jesus spoke. He spoke about peace. This peace I give you, this peace I leave you. Multiple times when Jesus would would perform a miracle, when something supernatural would happen or he would encounter someone, his final parting words to that individual would be, go in peace. Jesus made the blind to see and he said, go in peace. Jesus made the deaf to hear and he said, go in peace. He made the mute to speak and he said, go in peace. Jesus restored sinful, wretched humans and he said, go in peace. Perhaps one of the most famous examples is in John chapter 8, a woman that was caught in the act of adultery and she's brought before Jesus and this religious group that want to stone her. They're ready to take rocks and begin to pelt her with these rocks because of her vile act. And Jesus, as he begins to talk with this woman, he kneels down on the ground and he writes something and he gets up and Jesus says, look, if any of you is perfect, like if any of you is without sin of any kind, you go ahead and grab that stone and you can be the first one to throw it. And we know in the story throughout scripture that starting from the oldest or wisest or most experienced individual, the one with the most sober understanding of their own lives that they're so wrought with sin that they are not perfect, that there's actually imperfections in them, that they couldn't in any way with, with, a, with a good conscience or with integrity pick up a stone and throw it at her. So the oldest begin to leave. And then after that, everyone else follows until Jesus alone is there with that woman. And he kneels back down. And that woman, I can imagine, just cloaked in her shame and her embarrassment, Jesus looks up and he says, woman, has anybody condemned you? And she says, no, sir, no one. And Jesus then will announce her forgiveness when he says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go in peace. 92 times it's mentioned in the New Testament. It's pretty important. There's a parallel word in the Old Testament, though not identical because the Hebrew language is very distinctive and different than what the New Testament was written in, which is Greek. But the word in the Old Testament is the word shalom. Shalom. And I want to share with you both in the Greek, which the word is irene. In fact, Paul, the apostle, writes most of his works by saying, karis kai irene, grace and peace. And we talked about it week one when we said that grace always comes before peace and that if you don't know the grace of God, you'll never realize the peace of God. And we recognize that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense or God's redemption at Christ's expense. And that if you aren't experiencing peace, then you may not have experienced God's grace. And it begins there as the root, the tree of life begins in God's grace. And that out of that, all things are birthed and realized, especially God's peace. If you were to equate peace to a bank account this morning, How many of you, if you're honest, you're running kind of low? How many of you, if you're honest, you might have bounced some checks? You might be in the negative. Some of you, your peace quotient leaves you bankrupt. And you're just looking for any debt consolidation. You want out. You want to know that peace, but you're just so overwhelmed. You're so overwhelmed with so much right now. I get it. 
I get it. Peace seems like that unicorn that's impossible. So then let's talk about the possible, the supernatural. Let's look at the word peace in its original context. In the original language, it is described or defined as God's design for humanity from the beginning. It's perfect harmony. Peace is whole, lacking nothing, and it is entirely complete. In fact, that's what the word shalom at its root means. It means entire complete, lacking nothing. The word irene in the Greek, it means a wholeness when all essential parts are joined together symbiotically, when they all come together as one. Peace is God's original design for humanity. If you don't believe me, go to the very beginning of your Bible and look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And then go read Proverbs chapter 2, all of it. And Proverbs chapter 3, all of it. And even go back to Proverbs chapter 1, specifically verse 7. When Solomon, the author of Proverbs, writing to his children, says that fear of the Lord is the foundation for knowledge and wisdom. And in chapter 3, we learn that God in his wisdom created the world from its foundation. And that we were intended to know and operate and live in a place of peace. But how many of you know that Satan himself is described as and defined as the father of lies and deception, that he comes like a lion to kill, steal, and destroy? I, I've never pet a lion. They look cute and cuddly, But common sense would tell me that's not a good idea. And yet so many times every year, people will operate in a space of ignorance, not wisdom, and they will touch wildlife that they shouldn't. I'll give you an example. Uh, About 11 years ago when my wife and I, 12 years ago now, well, longer than that, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years ago, 13 years ago when my wife and I moved our family from Oregon to Minneapolis, we drove through... Uh, the, the, the national park in the middle. Y'all know what it's called? Yellowstone? Okay. While we were there in my wife's vehicle, we, we had our windows down and we were looking, and I, 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 we have a video of it. There was a buffalo, a bison, like Tatanka. <laughs> you Kevin Costner fans, you're welcome. That was one foot away from the armada that I was driving as we were driving through the national park. And at any point, my wife could have reached her hand out to touch this buffalo, this bison. And yet, she thought better of it. She didn't put her hand out. But you can look every single year. Dozens of people will die because they think that buffalo look cute. And they will attempt to... Do you know one of the most deadly animals out there is a moose? That they are massive, but do you know how big their brain is? Their brain is the size of a walnut. They're these massive creatures with a brain the size of a walnut. And when they feel threatened, they will stop at nothing, including their own lives, to protect what they believe is theirs. And people go down, oh, it's a cute moose. Come here, moose. It's not Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> I look at a lion and I have a healthy fear 
of wildlife like that. I wouldn't even get, unless I have protective glass separating me from that animal, I have no desire to go to Africa and go on one of these expeditions where we're out there with, I've got one guy who's got a rifle and hoping for the best. That doesn't sound like fun to me. I don't, I don't have a desire to do that. And yet when it comes to Satan himself, who is described in scripture as a lion who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, we will play with that lion. We will allow that lion to appear cute in our lives, and we will put our hands out in the form of sin and temptation, and we'll give ourselves over to those things, and then we sit there and wonder how we got devoured, how we got demolished, how we got all these scratches and bumps and bruises and beat up. Friends, stay back. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize him for who he is, that he is the father of lies. He is the father of chaos. He's the father of worry. He's the father of fear. He's the father of sin. And don't go near it. If you don't believe me, God's creation from beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, his design was for perfect peace in all humanity for all times. Genesis 3. Satan shows up in the form of a snake. I don't know whoever thought a snake was cute or a good idea, because they're absolutely the worst thing God created. My daughter would argue that it's spiders. I don't whatever spiders, snakes on the other hand. And we have poisonous gardener snakes here. <laughs> gardener snakes here, bull snakes here, they're all poisonous. They all should be just, my son has a healthy fear of snakes as well. But three years ago, he was cutting the grass in the backyard and apparently we had a, do you call them nest? Like, what do you call a whole bunch of a nest. a nest? Yeah, like birds. He got into them, and all of a sudden, with the mower blade, you hear this. Duff, 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 duff. And there were snakes. That boy, he was like 17 years old when this happened, came running in the house, running, screaming, and I'm talking boulder sized tears pouring out of his eyes. <laughs> And he said, Dad, please don't make me cut the grass anymore. Please, Dad, please. And I said, get some water and get outside. <laughs> Satan shows up and he disrupts peace. He offers chaos in a package that looks appealing. Like if you just... Like did God really say that you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? There, the reason that God said that is he doesn't want you to, to be like God. And Satan begins to lure us in by casting doubt and dispersions on our own mind. Could it really be that bad? And just like that, what disrupts peace is sin. Sin creates chaos. Sin creates panic. Sin creates disorder and mania. Sin is the antithesis of God's peace. And then, when you think about the breach of God's peace, you have to be reminded of the truth that peace, God's peace lacks nothing. That God's peace is complete and it's entire. It's whole. It's all-encompassing. But here's the thing. Here's why it seems like a unicorn to us. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to take this kind of peace. This isn't one of those things that you can manufacture. 
The greatest engineering minds in the world have never been able to recreate peace. Peace is not something that you can write a check large enough for. I, I didn't want to get into names today. But out of curiosity, I researched some of the wealthiest, most successful names over the last decade people that could never spend all of their money if they had the rest of their lives to spend it, that lived in absolute chaos and took their own lives. Individuals that had everything according to the standards that the world has to offer, fame, notoriety, money, success, large house, cars, clothes, anything and everything you could imagine. And still, there's this deficit. They are devoid of the one thing that they so desperately want, and that's peace. They want peace. One name I will share with you, and not to be disparaging, but because it absolutely breaks my heart, is Robin Williams. Arguably one of the most well-respected comedians at least of multiple generations, but maybe ever, had more money than he would ever be able to spend. He had been married three times, had children, had all the houses and the cars and the fame and the spotlight and everything, and yet took his own life. Autopsy was done on Robin Williams and they determined that he had an early form of a severe type of dementia. And that as a byproduct of his mind falling apart, he lived in a constant state of anxiety and depression. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he felt like the only way out was to end it all. He's one example. I could name several famous people. People that you and I aspire to be like at some level. We want the fame. We want the notoriety. We want the money. We want the success. We want, the, we, 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 we want it. But, but what I, what I want to share with you is that there's nothing that we can manufacture this side of eternity to create peace enough. We may have momentary places of contentment or happiness like Dave talked about last week, but to know the state of peace is not something that we can recreate or develop ourselves. It is only found as a gift given by the giver of peace, which is the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this again. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. Peace is only found and realized in the Spirit of God. But... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You know, if I were to encourage you to write in your Bible, to highlight anything, I would encourage you to highlight that right there. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And then next to that, if there's some way you could remind yourself, that's not my job. That's not my wife's job. That's not my kid's job. That's not my employer's job. That's not my favorite football team's job. That's not, that, that's not my job. That true peace, authentic peace, real peace can only be produced and realized in the spirit of God. And it, 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 it creates these nine mitochondria, love, joy, peace, peace. Whole, entire, complete, lacking nothing. 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of their simple nature to his cross and crucified them there. And verse 25 reminds us, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Friends, peace is not a product produced by man or a byproduct of any human effort. True peace will only ever be realized through abiding in the Spirit of God, resting in the Spirit of God. It cannot be experienced apart from the Lord. It's simply impossible. It's entirely impossible to know true peace outside of the Lord. Interesting are the number of people unlike those that I just referenced moments ago that end their lives with everything the world would suggest is success that leads to peace are the number of people that have taken their last breath in extraordinary ways under the most extreme of circumstances that we could never imagine. And yet they somehow have lived and will die with peace. And that is possible. And it's possible at every age. When I was first a youth director at 19 years old, 20 years old, a young lady by the name of Cassie Bernal. Does anybody remember that name? There was the first widely reported mass shooting in Colorado. Cassie Bernal was amongst the students that was killed by two of her peers, by two of her classmates. And as the story goes, these students were walking around with their firearms down the halls and they were shooting and especially targeting Christians. And they got to Cassie and they told her that if she would denounce her faith, if she would curse God, she could live 17 years old. And Cassie refused to bend a knee her whole life in front of her to Satan or his schemes. And in that moment, she stood firm in her faith and she lost her life this side of eternity. They went on to produce a number of docu-series about Middleton, Colorado and this shooting, and in particular, Cassie and her, her friends. Some of the videos coming out of her youth group were incredible. One in particular, they must have been doing a series on the whole armor of God in Ephesians, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the chest plate of righteousness, feet fit with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, sword of the spirit, shield of faith. And in that video, I remember Cassie talking about her faith with such joy, with such exuberance, with such a smile that you could see very visibly the peace of God wash over her. 
Now, I, I can only speculate, and it would be conjecture at best, but that a person could stare death in the face with such confidence only if they know peace. And that peace is only created by the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who resides within us. And I, I, I look at this, peace is... It's not a, a byproduct of any human effort. It's supernatural. It is supernatural. You can't buy it. You can't barter for it. You can't trade for it. You can't take it. It's not for sale. There's nothing you can do for peace aside from the Holy Spirit. So then the question has to be asked, how do we experience peace? How do we know peace? That word know in the Greek language is where we get the word gnosis, and that is where we get the word experienced. It's an experienced kind of peace, not one that you can be told about, but one that you must experience. I want to read just quickly for us in Philippians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? Philippians chapter 4. About the author, his name is Paul. About the audience, it's a church in Philippi. About the letter, it's a, it's a letter of encouragement. It's written in A.D. 61, which is just before Paul will lose his life as a martyr for his faith. He is in prison in Rome. He is bound and chained. He is held captive. He is not free to come and go. He is a prisoner. This is in one of what is known as the prison, uh, prison epistles or, or letters. And here, under Roman captivity... With everything being stripped away from him, this is what he writes, beginning in verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. There's one of those 92 times I referenced earlier which exceeds anything we can understand, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting them into practice, all that you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, then, the God of peace will be with you. Then the God of peace will be with you. We have a recipe, it seems. It looks like we're looking at God's recipe book and he's given us the ingredients necessary to know this kind of peace. But I want to understand something and I want us to get it collectively that, again, this kind of peace is not something that we can just go and get. This is only realized by abiding in a life lived through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And we'll finish with that here in just a moment. I want to read that again, and I want us to look at just three things, three things that I think are necessary to walk in peace, not to get peace, not to gain peace, but to walk in peace that can only come as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Let's look at these three things. He says, I want you to, to, to see this in Philippians chapter four, verses four through six. Always, never ceasing, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. This isn't circumstantial. This isn't temporal. This isn't based on how you're feeling in the moment. This is a state of being. Dave Ingbrecht talked about it last week. Too many of us live our lives looking for happiness when what we're called to is joy. Joy is not an emotion. 
It is, a, it is a, a state of being. It is a place of existence. And now he says, be full of joy. And he says it again, rejoice. He's reiterating the importance of that. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. That's about perspective. That's about the telescope over the magnifying glass. Most of us are living our lives with the magnifying glass so hyper-focused on what's happening in the moment that we lose sight of the, the, the bigger picture, the telescope, where we can see that God is at work in the upper story in all things. Friends, I've been challenged all week to put down the magnifying glass in favor of God's telescope in my life. There were three instances this week, and I'm not going to get into the details with you because we don't have enough time. But three instances where I found myself holding a magnifying glass of life, fixated on the moment, fixated on the problem in the moment. What I did was I called people that I trust and love, that I know know Jesus and live in the spirit, and I shared with them this space in my life, these three spaces that I found myself occupying a magnifying glass and fixating on the, 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 the little things, these little moments. And I allowed these individuals to speak truth into my life, to encourage me to trust in Jesus and recognize that, that this is just temporal. It's only here for a moment. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you know that there is someone that you can trust that loves Jesus, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and that when you're dealing with the magnifying glass moments of your life, you can call them and they will put things in perspective for you. They will remind you that this is temporary, that this is just a, an understory, but that God has got an upper story and he's working in your life. If not, why not? Maybe you don't have a lot of Christian friends because you're new to the faith. Maybe you're here and you're not even following Jesus. You have never given your life to Jesus, so you've never experienced this kind of peace. Well, I'm so glad you're here, and I don't want you to leave without an opportunity to first receive Jesus as the author, perfecter, sustainer of life and godliness and peace in your life, but if you feel lonely, if you feel devoid of anybody that can encourage you and spur you on toward faith and good deeds and challenge you in your faith quotient and in the peace that you are called to have as a byproduct of the Spirit in your life, would you please stop at our Connection Center and let them know that you would like to talk to someone? We would love to get you hooked up with someone that can walk alongside you and encourage you and pray with you and share their experiences of the peace of God. The first thing that I see about peace is to know peace is to keep a proper perspective. It's to keep a proper perspective, the lens with which you see life. He says in verse six, don't worry about anything. You see, that's a proper perspective. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Prayer is constant communion. It's not seeing God as a genie in a bottle that you're rubbing it, hoping for, for this genie to, uh, to, to appear and then grant you your life's desires or your deepest wishes. Prayer is constant communion. He says, pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. It's a constant recognition and understanding. It doesn't mean that we're pious in our prayers where we're on our knees and we've got this dark room and, and we've got ambient music playing in the background and a prayer journal and we just pray at night nauseam. That's not a bad thing to meditate on the Lord and to, 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 to read his precepts and to pray the prayers that have already been written and to, and to just allow God to investigate you. Those are beautiful moments. But when I, I tell you right now, I have six kids. I haven't had one of those moments maybe ever in my life. And if I'm being really truthful, I hate it when it even looks like it's going to be that quiet in my house. I will create distractions. I will go find someone to talk with. I will go invite somebody to my house. 
Like, I just don't like quiet. And I'm not very good at creating it. But quiet does not equate to peace. We can experience the greatest peace in our lives in the most egregious of circumstances. Not because of the physical state of being, but because of the Holy Spirit who presides in us. We can know peace, complete, whole, entire, free from chaos, free from mania, free from worry, free, free from anxiety, free from depression. The first is to keep a proper perspective. Verses 7 and 8 give us the second. We're called to keep in prayer, constant communion. We just talked about that. Then you'll experience God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace. When will you experience God's peace? When you're full of joy in the Lord? When you keep a proper perspective and remember the Lord is coming soon, when you don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything, telling God what you need and thank him for all he's done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, this is a promise, this is a guarantee. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then finally, the third is keep your thoughts fixed or grounded in truth. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Like, give your attention to that which is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Now, this is proactive. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. When you are intentional about your thoughts, when you fix your focus, Scripture says in first, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take every thought captive and make it wholly surrendered to Christ. If you, want to know, if you want to know peace, this is going to sound really cheesy, but hopefully it sticks. You've got to fix your stinking thinking. Like if you want to know peace, fix your stinking thinking. Up until recently, I've wanted another child. Let me explain. I love being a dad. I love kids. I love my kids. I love your kids. Don't leave them around me. I'll probably take one of them. <laughs> but one of our staff members had one of his two kids within this last week, and that kid filled his pants with whatever that kid's parents gave him. It was unbelievable. Like, we have a shared common workspace as a staff downstairs, and that workspace became... A biohazard <laughs> place. It was unbelievable. Like, it was in that moment that I realized I don't want any kids anymore. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm past that stage. I, and I just looked at, I looked at this, this, this boy's dad and I said, oh, oh, you're in for it, man. That's, that's you. You get all that. Uh, <laughs> my favorite was this little boy ran up to, to Terry. She picked him up not knowing right away. Like, the wind was behind him. And she picked him up and started patting his butt. And then you just saw it on her face. You saw it. And she turned green and it just like started to run. <laughs> Which one of us wants to take an example like that? Take the dirty diapers of life and just walk around with them in front of us. I know that's gross and disgusting and I don't apologize for it because that's exactly what we do with our thoughts. We walk around with a diaper full of garbage and we smell it and we think about that. 
We're like, we're just going around examining how horrible that is. When I smelled that kid's diaper, I looked at his dad and said, bro, go fix that. No, I really, I, I said, go fix that. We don't want that around. I want you here and I want him here, but I don't want that mess here. And yet too many Christians are walking around with a diaper full of garbage. We've got to fix our stinking thinking. Fix our eyes on the Lord. Take every thought captive and make it wholly surrendered to God. And I understand that sometimes our thoughts seem like they're out of control. I deal with this a lot. I deal with this about many things. And what I've learned to do is to just identify that what's happening is a lie and exchange it for a truth of God. Listen to me. As we wrap up, I want us to understand that the peace of God is not something that I can even adequately explain to you. I want to share a video with you. It's quick, but I hope you'll understand by the time we're done. Watch this. Count of three. One, two, three. What was that? 50,000 volts going through my body through two barbs, fish hooks, that pierced. I've got scars from them. They singed my skin. I've got two scars in my upper rhomboid uh, right toward the middle of my back and one on my right butt cheek. 50,000 volts of electricity pouring through my body for five seconds, which is known as NMI, neuromuscular incapacitation. The reason I started on the ground is because of my size. They were afraid that I would lock up and fall forward. And so they said, why don't you go ahead, big guy. You just start right there. One of the worst things uh, that I experienced in this, Levi, you'll appreciate this. Uh, Sergeant... Hackett for the uh, Iowa State Patrol is the one who tased me. Big guy. And he said, hey, look. <laughs> he said, you work out? I said, yeah, I work out. Yeah, you noticed? Like, this really happened. I said, yeah. How'd you? He's like, man, I, you're a big guy. I can tell you. And he grabbed my shoulder like this and my arm. He goes, man, you got a, you're, like, you got a lot of muscle. I was like, thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. He said, right now is going to be the only time in your life where you regret having that much muscle. I said, what do you mean? He said, the more muscle you have, neuromuscular incapacitation, the more you're going to feel this. Lay down. <laughs> I can't explain to you. I'm, I'm looking at uh, a couple of you that are in law enforcement, my friends, um, and you know what this is like. You've been tased before. Mark, Mark Plowman, how many times have you been tased? One time. That was more than enough. Yeah. When you and I talk about it, we understand it differently than about 98% of the people here, don't we? Because we've experienced it. And we could do our best. I could, I could do my best to try to tell you, it's like the most incredible ab workout you've had for seven hours in a row where the entire ab workout, your abs are just locked up with, with cramps and you still keep going. It feels like uh, your body's on fire. I think my heart stopped. You can't move. There's not, you lock up neuromuscular incapacitation. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. That's, like I, I could try to explain it to you, but unless you've experienced it yourself, my explanation would be inadequate at best. Would you agree? Yeah. My explanation would be inadequate at best. So what I'm going to do is next week, I'm going to have all my law enforcement friends here. We're going to tase you if you're interested, just so you can, we're just going to line you up right here. We're just going to, on the count of three, we're just going to light you up. 
And then after that, they run down and they, they wrap the, the, the copper around their hand and they rip it out of your body. And then they take alcohol pads and wipe them off so you don't get infected. It's special. It's, it's special. Like I just can't explain to you what 50,000 volts for five seconds feels like. And I want to tell you what living a life full of the Holy Spirit is like. I want you to know what it's like to experience absolute peace in the middle of your chaos. I've shared this story so many times, but the best example I have to give you is when I was 30 years old, just 15 years ago, August 19th, I had a stroke, not a small stroke, the kind of stroke that 78% of the people have end up dead or incapacitated for the rest of their lives. And I was in the emergency room. I was in the intensive care unit for almost two days and then moved to a cardiac wing where they ran every test they could possibly run on me. They were getting ready to cut my skull open to do exploratory brain surgery just to find out how bad it was. And in the middle of these tests where I was trying to figure out what was gonna happen if I was ever gonna be the same again, I was inside that MRI machine and that, that music, that noise, they, they put the ambient music in your ear, which does absolutely no good because all you hear is, eh, da, 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 and they tell you not to move. And I, they, they were filling me full of iodine. Like I could taste it in my whole body. It was unbelievable. And in that moment, through prayer and intentional reflection on God, knowing that there was nothing that I could do to alter or change my circumstances, I couldn't pay enough money. I couldn't be strong enough. I couldn't steal it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't buy it. There was nothing I could do. I, in that moment, gave my life to Jesus. In that, I had already given my life to Christ, but in that moment, I allowed him to be the Lord of peace in my life. And I just allowed the, the peace of God to sweep over me as I surrendered myself to him as the Lord of peace in my life. And you guys, I will tell you, I did not know the outcome of that MRI. I promise you, I didn't. I was still under the impression they were gonna do exploratory surgery. But in that moment, in that MRI, in, the, in, in what is the scariest moment of my life, I had a peace sweep over me. Not that I knew that everything was gonna be okay but that God had it. I can't explain it to you if you've never had it. Like I can tell you what it feels like to, it physically, it literally, it physically washes over you. It's a very physical, surreal, supernatural experience, but it, it manifests in mental and physical and all like, like emotional ways. If you don't know peace this morning, whole peace, entire peace, if you've never experienced that, my friends, I want to encourage you with every fiber of my being to challenge you to step into a place where with an open heart, you surrender yourself to God in every way and say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to be the Lord of peace in my life. That peace which surpasses all understanding. Ask God to fill you, to flood you with his perfect peace and watch what God does. Watch what God does. Watch what God does.